Welcome to Open Tabs and Dolce Floor. I'm your host, Kay Mills, and we're opening a tab at the drink bar. Whatever you like, coffee, tea, maybe some licks. And we're also opening a search tab on relevant topics in the mainstream. Our guest today is Yvonne Williams, a talented administrator, educator, and one of my best friends. Thank you for having me. I really <laughs> appreciate this. You said a lot of so nice happy to things. have you. Yeah. Happy so, to be here. Let's get right into it and open a tab. I'm ordering a classic, a Bombay Sapphire gin and seltzer. What are you drinking, Yvonne? I'm a tad bit boring now. What I was going with what I had earlier today, um, wrapping up my cup. I did have a Malibu breeze today. It's kind of like a nice, sunny, breezy day. Um, was with my mom, and you know she went in something with rum and coconut, so I went with it. So Malibu that breeze, good. I like it. I like it. Getting right into it. We know you're an educator, but what exactly does that entail? Can you give some background on what you do? I started in education in 2012, and um, I have always been, I guess, in what I would label the back office of education. Um, when you're in school, I don't think people really think that much about the people that work in like the main office and the work they have to do. It's kind of the principal, assistant principals, and teachers. Um, but I've always been one of those main office people. so. Um, I started off in uh, my consultant type of capacity when I was working for the DOE and switched to community titles where I was supporting and um, supporting families, supporting administrative work in the office. Then I went to being the school business manager, which is more or less self-explanatory in title, but you are the person that pays the bills. Um, you are the person that makes sure the school stays in compliance. You are the person that supports the principal and the assistant principal so they can focus on instruction and you do all the other things. Um, and I guess it's not even as recent um, anymore, but in the last roughly about three, four years ago, I made the transition and I um, moved over to charter. And so now I'm a director of school operations and I work for um, a pretty large charter network with schools in three, excuse me, with schools in three distinct regions. And um, my role is uh, to be chief of staff for the school. And then again, um, just overseeing the day-to-day -day operations of the school and uh, making sure that the principal can focus on instruction and I own and make sure everything else goes well. Okay, so it's a little bit more involved than what people think is involved. Like you said, when you're in school, when you're a child, you might not have gone to the office so much, but you don't realize what the people in the office do and how much they do. So in light of what has happened with the pandemic, with COVID and school shutting down, what's the one thing you wish you'd known when you began your career? Hmm. It's a hard first question. Um, I think that what, if I had, I, I think I understood it, but I couldn't, it hadn't been explicitly stated at that time. But um, 
what makes schools good or great is when people um, love the children and value the children. And then in addition, they treat each other with respect and value each other. Um, And I think that when you look, um, particularly in our country, at what we put at the pinnacle of education and what makes schools successful and what we praise, it is um, very much so academic leaning. Like we we come off of the generation of um, college bound and everything was grounded in, um, which, you know, it happened for a while, but even more so like the success of academics, right? Like you're a good school, if you're turning out numbers, uh, what do your kids get on the SAT? How many kids um, from your school end up going to top prestigious colleges? And so I think having that in mind, it could put you in a position of creating a school environment that supports um, a culture that drives for those numbers and drives for um, academics. But the reality of it is that's not what a great school is about. Um, And I think now I understand even more than ever because there's so many things we cannot control during this crisis, um, that what really matters is you're creating a place where, again, like children can be loved, children can be valued, and then adults are respected and valued as well. I completely understand that um, the basic purpose of a school, um, back in the olden times, it was a small building with a whole bunch of rows, and it was a community environment where, like you said, the teacher loved the children. The teacher was part of the community and that's what it was about. And like you said, when it comes to numbers, when it comes to um, industrialization, it becomes more about the numbers instead of the actual people that inhabit the seats and getting away from that, the whole idea of what education really is instead of a loving pursuit it becomes just about numbers and about and you lose sight of the individual the teacher and the student in the process yeah i 100 percent agree with that just going along with that you know thinking about teachers and students as just like pawns in a game um opening a search tab on the internet, I was looking around and a few weeks ago, I came across the cover of New York Magazine on the August 2020 issue. And it had a picture of a little boy basically in a hazmat suit. And the caption says, inside the city's impossible planning project. And in parentheses, it says, it's not going well. So, We talked about this the other day and you gave me some details that I think that most people are not aware of. And just wondering if you could enlighten us, what are the logistics, the reality of a school reopening? I just want to make sure I Google that image. Yeah, this is uh, is a crazy image, but the image evokes so much of what it is, right? Uh, I I might use the image to actually break it down. So you think about something like the face shields. So um, people kind of, when the CDC guidance came out, maybe back in June-ish, I guess. I can't remember when the CDC issued the guidance on opening schools. Everybody read it um, 
whether you read the condensed one page or you read the detailed uh, report and it seemed impossible. So like, again, starting with the face shield that the little boy's wearing the face mask, um, running a school that is a kindergarten through fourth grade elementary school. Um, just the idea of having students in that age range have to wear a mask all day, that in and it of itself just seems impossible. I mean, it's hard to get kindergartners to understand and adjust the school to begin with. Um, and just the dynamics of what first day of kindergarten usually looks like. It's a lot of crying for many of them, a lot of just soothing and requires personal touch. Um, and a lot of the things that we can't do. And, you know, that that's just to start with, right? Just those dynamics of the, the bare minimum of some of the things that we have to do that children are going to have to learn to do. Um, but just the idea of the process of training them to do that could potentially take weeks, right? So layer on top of that then. Um, and again, I'm gonna stick with like the face mask and some of the safety things. But layer on top of that, that with social distancing, uh, you have to have six feet apart. So that means in a class where for kindergarten, we usually have classes of up to 30 students. And then we have two teachers in the class. Um, and they sit at tables of roughly six. So there's five tables. You got your red table, your green table, helps them with organization. Um, and that dynamic of, again, that kind of community of what kindergarten feels like, looks like, is completely gone. So you're talking about desks, again, six feet apart. So that's in most of our kindergarten classrooms between 12 to 15 kids in desk and they have to face forward, right? Um, and then the teacher has to be six feet apart from them. So whereas you might be used to looking into a kindergarten classroom and you see the teacher reading a book to the kids neatly lined up on the carpet, um, we can't even do that. You can't even have a carpet. They've all got to be sitting in their chairs um, with their belongings around them. They can't use the cubbies with their mask on six feet apart from the teacher. Um, and again, I, I think for most of us, when we think about like our kindergarten experience, it, it didn't, it didn't, definitely didn't sound like that. Definitely didn't look like the mental picture that comes to mind when you talk about that. Um, and then again, going back to the mask, it is going to be incredibly expensive. So already where most schools, like I, I will say that um, this, the charter network I work for and charters in general are in a better place as far as some of what they can do with their funding. Um, but in order to make sure that we are protecting the children, protecting our staff, the costs are exorbitant. Um, and so to buy masks for children, to buy other PPE equipment for children and staff to um, front load, again, safety, to front load some of the things that are needed because we're in this position. Oh, I forgot this point. I'll come back to it. We're in this position of um, doing remote learning as well because we're going to establish a hybrid. Um, we have to front load also technology. That is, that's like 60 to 75% of the budget. Um, and people, you know, in, in a school where I have a pretty sizable school, we average about 500 kids, got about 80 people on staff. So when we're like at a 2.6 mil budget, you're talking close to one mil. Mm. 
in things that are just well that may be an exaggeration but you're, you're talking uh, again a sizable portion of the f- money that we spent for the year is going outside of salaries is going to PPE to safety and then to technology um, and so that puts a strain on the school and again the culture of what you would normally use the funding to do um, and then the point I skipped with the social distancing and then the six feet apart is that because of the that dynamic of how many um, children can now fit in a classroom and space it then has put us in a place where the pen, parents have had choice um, and they get to determine uh, if their child will come back and be fully remote um, for their instruction, if they'll come back in person. Um, with the in-person option, we're giving them an option of how many days. But the reason being is now we're in a position where we can't fit all our kids inside of the school building at the same time every day. So whereas school used to be Monday through Friday, full day schedule, now we're talking about schedules where kids are going to come in for two days out of the week and have in-person learning and then the other three days they'll be remote and again bringing it back to the kindergarten class um how do you how do you orient children to understanding what school is like when they can only be in school for two days at a time so the moment you get them adjusted they all the habits all the things you're building are going to continually reset um, because of the experience. So it is um, a whole new world. And I think that image just plays up the complexity of the experience um, for educators around the, the country right now, especially because our country, without getting into politics, but our country um, doesn't seem to have a good sense of what they're doing with this crisis, the administration. And uh, this is this is right. You know, little boy in the blue hazmat suit with the hello, my name is Alex tag, but you can't even see his face. Mm. Right? You can't even see his face. And he's got his little lunchbox and his backpack. Um, but this is it's a lot. It's going to be traumatizing for both kids and adults. I think you're so right. Just um, what you were saying about what's happening it feels like this pandemic is best suited for people who are already developed as people what about people who are just developing as people uh like you said a nurturing kindergarten experience is some is somewhat what forms you as an individual as you grow up but if that is an aberration how does that develop your character what happens to your character when all you're introduced to is an impersonal sterilized six feet apart culture what does that do to a formative being a child who's just starting out in the world so it's the unique perspective and most people don't understand what it really entails when we're talking about a school reopening we're thinking I just got to get my kid to school because I have to go to work but what sort of person is being created by this very um compartmentalized six feet apart culture so going along with that and the reopening and all the controversy that's going on why do you think that most people feel 
that in New York City, the reopening of schools is failing? I think people feel like it's failing in New York because the... I can't say there's not a plan. Like, there's a plan. Like, there's been a plan for a minute. But I think the problem is that people understand that the the depth of the plan and the um, actual strategy and the the strength of the plan isn't there. So the, it, it's very theoretical, right? We're going to send kids back to school. Um, you have to pick one or one of three staggered schedule options. You have to make sure you're socially distanced. Um, and you got to make sure your tech works. And at baseline, like, okay, everybody gets that. Um, but again, just the reality of what it takes to run a school on a day-to-day basis and then layering those things on, it is extremely complex. And it is also where there's no guarantee, right? We can set up schools and in the morning we could take the temperature of every child and we could take the temperature of every staff person, we can have testing, but um, you are asking people to go back and literally put the lives of um, for staff themselves and then for the children, the lives of, you know, the parents sending their children, the lives of their children um, at risk. Because we still don't quite know how this disease works. Um, somehow it was rampant. Many people were dying all of a sudden. And uh, what for me doesn't make sense is we went from that period to a period of protest and people being out more in spaces together and somehow the disease has lulled. Um, but we still, again, don't know how it works. Right before that happened, we started with this random, well, we, it was thought children couldn't get it. Then came another disease that was born of it, Kawasaki disease. The children were dying and suddenly like that disappears from the media. So I think the reason why people feel like the New York City plan isn't working is because New York City is the largest school district in the country, but pu- definitely public school district in the entire country um, with over, I forget how many million of students are in New York City public schools. I think we're the, now the only large public school district that has green lighted going back to school, whereas all the others are saying, nope, we're going to go remote because remote is the safer option. Remote is the option that allows for greater feasibility and planning, um, a better probability of decreasing risk because you're not introducing people to be in the same environment and so I really think it's because while there's a plan at a high level it's a plan everybody doesn't believe in Um, they can't see how to actually bring it into fruition and uh, at the end of the day it's not the plan that keeps people safe it's the plan it's a it's a risky plan I agree like um what you were saying I'm thinking about a movie I watched, a little kids movie, um, a series of unfortunate events with Lemony Snicket. And at one point he says, it's one thing to do, to hear about something in theory. It's another to do it in practice. Mm. And at this point, um, a school reopening, as you stated, is all about theory because the school districts that have opened have closed promptly because one child has or one staff member has contracted the COVID, you know, disease and then the entire school is on quarantine. And how, you know, efficacious is that? 
So if you could remove all barriers and constraints, what would you do to make the school opening a success? I think kids need to learn. And then I was listening to another um, like Instagram live conversation uh, from a prominent author named Jason Reynolds. He co-authored this book with Ibram Kendi called Stamped. He said something which was like, why can't we just not have school this year? And it hit me in a way where I actually paused and was like, that to me would make more sense. Um, and it makes more sense to me because I, I don't think that there won't be an impact of children like not having formal instruction. Definitely do. But I think that we are now in a position of rushing to plan something and again, what's at stake is human lives. And so the pause that I think is needed to sufficiently plan and fully answer the question you've asked me, um, it can't happen. We're theorizing and we, we're theorizing, really, if you think about it, maybe a school district, like I'll, I'll use my own. The charter network I work for had developed plans um, most of those plans were 75% eh, ish done before the announcement from the, the governor or even from the mayor about what their strategy would be. Those plans are built within a span of what, three months? And again, everything's in theory. There's no, there's no real time to test it out, to practice and, and really try and figure it out. Um, and so I think if I could remove boundaries, I would give us more time to sufficiently figure out planning and how to make things work. And I, you know, I think this, if I wasn't afforded more time, I think the main thing I would want to do is create viable social service options for families that really need some place for their children to go during the day. Um, I won't get into the pay people so that their kids can, they can stay home from work and all of that I think there's a lot of structures that we can all speak to um, and say just aren't working um, but I would advocate strongly for parents to have some place for their children to go when they cannot leave them at home by themselves um, and they have to be at school and another piece of that is that a lot of kids get food in school a lot of kids get unfortunately safety in school Right. Um, and so to protect children, to make sure that they can stay healthy and be OK, I would most certainly want to be able to use um, the capital to create stronger social service options that are places where children can go during the day and get food and be safe and be there until their parents can return from work. I agree. I, I completely agree. Most people would say we need an influx of cash. And that's what um, a lot of people are saying. We need the cash. We need the cash. Even the teachers union. If the HEROES Act doesn't get passed, school won't open. But is it so much money that is needed or the structures that are in place already how can we utilize those better to serve the community? Um, have had several arguments about the necessity of school food for children 
as you stated. Many children, their only meals for the day are in the school building. And it's an important resource. Um, when you mentioned time, time is more valuable than money. And many people don't realize that just having the time to plan and do things appropriately, forget about the money, having time to do things the right way, slow down, think about what we're doing. Um, and I'm thinking about the fire Festival, how it was a scam in the first place, but part of it was, um, I forget the man's name who did the fire Festival, but if they that had guy. more time, oh, about the, the other guy, the guy who, the, the guy behind it, the, the, yeah. he, if he, he had, he received all the money he need, he needed. Mm -hmm. But if he had more time, he would have been able to pull it together. He tried to do it in a couple of weeks' time, about the same timeline we have for opening the schools. It's virtually impossible. So <laughs> I completely agree with you. That's right. You know, putting out mattresses on a sandy beach in the middle of the Caribbean is not going to work. It's fire festival here in New York City trying to reopen the schools in two weeks with almost no funds, no tracing and tracking, and people who don't want to go back to work, like you said, because they're scared. Yep. So that causes a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety. And here at Dolce Flora, we're all about self-care. Um, this week, I paid attention to my nails. I gave myself a mani-pedi because I've been ignoring them. And number one, I'm working. And number two, I'm kind of bad, but I kind of feel like no one's going to see them. So what's the point of doing my toenails if no one's going to see? But that's not acceptable. It's all about self-care, taking care of yourself. So... <laughs> So what is your favorite way to self-care and in the position that you're in and talking to like-minded people, what would you suggest to other administrators, teachers, school support staff, ways to self-care during this time? Um, that is a great question. Like self-care is a non-negotiable. It should be a non-negotiable no matter what you do for work but particularly for education it's a non-negotiable so I kind of have three tenets of the self-care which is the um spiritual um spiritual religious uh mental emotional and then the physical um and so what I have been doing and again it's hard to maintain balance but I definitely take care of the the spiritual or at least try to with just like reflection, definitely prayer when I need to. Not when I need to, but prayer consistently and meditation there. But then in addition to that, you know, people, probably a lot of stigmas behind this is black people, but I've definitely been seeing a therapist for like the last year and a half um, and unpacking some of the different experiences, whether it's the stress and the, the literal guilt I feel if I'm not working all the time to other things and then um, in addition to that the physical for me like exercising um, it may take me making a conscious decision to say okay I'm going to stop 
and close my computer screen at this time and go do my exercise, come home, make sure I'm making dinner for myself. But it literally can be such a grind and you get caught in it because you're doing this. You're not doing it because like an investment banker, you want to make some people money. You're not doing it like someone working for a tech company because you've got to turn out this tech project and meet a deadline. You're literally doing work so that you can benefit children so they can learn and have like a school. And it can suck you into this cycle of draining yourself and bleeding yourself so that you have no more to give. So I would advise most certainly that people prioritize self-care because you got to love yourself before you can love anybody else or do anything to support anyone else. And it's different for everyone, but it may take some just pause and figuring out what works for you and what you can make work in your schedule. Uh, that's, that's really insightful. Once again, going back to time, time being the most precious commodity, time out for oneself to self-care, to, um, like you said, the spiritual, mental, physical, taking care of oneself in all of those ways so that you can continue to do what it is that you wanted to do in the first place, mm -hmm. which in your case is to bring up a loving place together where a child can learn and become an individual in society and function properly. So really appreciate that and your thoughts overall and the clarity that you have given about education, um, not only here in the city, but just in the climate that we're in right now and what it means for us going forward. So thank you, everyone, for coming and listening. We hope you like this discussion. Please stay tuned for our next episode. And remember to stop by dolcefloor.shop for our exclusive self-care selection of spa products and Dolce Floor merch. So we're going to close our tab and see you next time.